Hey, Jim. Hey, Catherine. Uh, everything is really happening now. Um, Everything's happening now. Yeah, things have escalated yeah. just really quickly just in the last 24 hours in New York. Um, it's now uh, Governor Cuomo, who, who had initially said uh, he would not be doing a shelter-in-place order, now essentially is is saying that uh, this will go into effect on Sunday, that you are not to leave home. Um, unless you are an essential employee and you, you can travel for work. Um, and you can go out for, for jogs and for a few things like food and medicines. But there shouldn't be any socializing or recreational leaving of home other than that. Okay. So I live in New York. You live in New York. We're about to just have to stay home. Yeah, yeah. In a, <sighs> well, you know, New York is the most densely populated area in the U.S. So that I... Do we, do, we, do we know anything about the state of the hospitals here right now? Yeah, I don't have numbers in front of me. But the reason that the governor said that he's doing this is because the number of cases increasing so quickly and that if it continues to happen, we will surely run out of ICU beds, specifically ventilators. And we'll be at that point already, um, which we've talked about before on this podcast and yet is coming even more quickly than I was imagining where we would uh, we would have to be making decisions about who gets ventilators and who doesn't and people would die who 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 would not die if we had enough um, medical facilities. Mm. So that is why these extreme measures are being taken. Um, and even I didn't expect that it would that it would come to this so quickly. Uh, but I'm not saying that it shouldn't have come to this this quickly. Only because the messaging that we are hearing has changed so much in the last week. When we were asking over the course of the last week, we've gone from canceling some travel to uh, moving the number of people who can get together down to 50 to moving it to 10 to uh, try not to leave your homes to do not leave your homes. So New York's shutting down much of California already is presumably this will start happening across the rest of the country as well. And we just got to figure out how to wait it, wait it out. Right. Um, no, I mean, we need to figure out how to help. It's kind of like war. They, you know, Cuomo said he's 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 uh, going to mobilize medical students and ask retired doctors to come out of practice. He's trying to find other facilities he can use to textile companies that can help generate something that could be akin to masks. Um, there's something probably everyone can do. And we're getting beyond the mode of like, reach out to one person who might be lonely or someone who might not have stockpiled uh, two weeks of food to how am I going to contribute in an ongoing way to this? I'm wondering that myself. Uh, as someone who has been out of medical practice for a while in a clinical way, but uh, knows. Are you, are you starting to think like you're going to need to show up at a hospital and start pitching in? I'm everything is crossing my mind right now. Yeah. Um, so basically this is a moment where uh, we need to think how we can be most helpful. Right. And, and I think I, there is maybe, there are maybe ways to be, helpful uh, to anyone who is a healthcare worker or even the family of a healthcare worker um, that you can, you you know, there's these these things all over Twitter of people, the the families are separating and and some ER doctors I've talked to are sleeping apart from their families, if not in a a guest bedroom, then like actually (laughs) trying to go someplace else just so they're at the end of the day, not coming home to their family, almost like a deployment. 
Um, so that family's going through a lot. That person's going through a lot. Anything you can do to help them out um, yeah. will be good. Those are our, those are our soldiers. Yep. Okay. Um, that's that's what's happening with us right well, now. Yeah. What part of the one thing we wanted to mention is that a lot of the reason all of this these shutdowns are happening right now is because we just don't have enough data about where the disease is. Um, and because it has a two week incubation period, it's probably in a lot of places that we don't know. Right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. People are like, how did it get so bad so quickly? And the answer is we just weren't aware while it was growing because we weren't testing. Right. Alexis Madrigal and Rob Meyer uh, have put up a piece today on theatlantic.com where they have uh, basically on their own um, sort of crowdsourced help and put up a comprehensive testing tracker. And so we're going to, we're about to call Alexis, but Jim, I mean, you've been talking about testing for weeks. Uh, You were actually out there, you know, on the Atlantic in media talking about the necessity of testing and the, the very real possibility that this could get really bad. So what do we, what's the background before we call Alexis? What do we need to know about testing? Yeah. So in the middle of February, I was talking to disease modelers, uh, epidemiologists who were saying, yeah, this is probably, um, probably spreading in the United States right now. And we just basically are not testing for it. We're only testing people who came directly from China and also had a fever and a cough and we'd ruled out everything else and okay let's test you and see if it's this when in fact we knew that most of the many of the cases didn't were, were mild disease and could have easily been missed and um so i was saying you know we really need to start looking for this because it's probably spreading in ways we're not identifying and um uh, that that slowly picked up steam i was certainly wasn't the only one um calling for this and it happened so slowly for reasons we'll get into in later periods that um now it's just everywhere and we still can't test people for it so we're just having to assume that everyone who is sick um or has come into contact with someone who was sick and may have had this um it, it is is high risk and that's why we're just having to shut everything down and this is the worst case scenario for um, for for everyone. We're in absolute crisis mode. And Alexis and Rob have done good work trying to, you know, understand what's happening at a state by state level, which is the way our our public health systems are are, are generally operated. And try to figure out who's doing good work. How are they doing it? How can other states? you know, replicate that and get testing facilities and testing capacity up. But um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've just been working tirelessly <laughs> to compile this stuff. And I've been so impressed by the work that they've done. And they really uh, brought the national conversation to the testing issue in a way that I think actually got us to start doing more, got people to appreciate it and got the government, the federal government to finally really start emphasizing the issue. All right, let's, uh, let's give Alexis a call. Hello. No, I'm here. I'm here. Hi. Hi. Sorry. Hey. uh, Uh-oh. Can't hear you, Alexis. Let me see if I can steal my wife's, um, uh, 
AirPods. I put mine through the wash and now the, I can listen, but no one can hear me. Um, <laughs> better for the world. Bad, bad it's for more me. proof that AirPods are the dumbest product ever made. <laughs> Hold on one sec. Let me steal our AirPods. Um, sure. Well, do you want me to just jump in and tell you how this all got going? It's like yes. a pretty crazy story, actually. Yes, please. Um, so on, you know, March 6th, uh, Rob Meyer, you know, another Atlantic staff writer and I, uh, were working on this story because we realized that the CDC had pulled down the number from their website of how many people had been tested um, for the new coronavirus. And we were like, wait a second, there is no number there, right? So Rob, Rob calls me Wednesday night of that week, you know, Mar- the first week of March. And he's like, uh, dude, what the blank are we doing right now? And I was like, uh, well, I'm making dinner for my kids. You know, I was still living back on planet A. And he goes, he goes, no, like imagine we're on the Army Corps of Engineer beat and it's five days before Katrina. Like, what the blank are we doing? <laughs> and I was like, what do you want to do, man? You know? And he like, he explained to me, listen, we don't have this number. And I was like, you're right. I haven't seen that. We go to the CDC, you know, we're like, we were like, what if we just went state by state and just, you know, emailed every press officer, pull, scraped all the data off their websites that we could pull, put it into a spreadsheet and just like hit equal sum, you know, and got like a number for the number of people who'd been tested. Right. And so that night we split up the, split up the things. I took the bottom half of the alphabet. He took the top and we were able to come up with like the first real number. Um, and it was less than 2000 people had been tested as of, as of March 6th. Um, so, you know, Wuhan's breaking out in December. We know all these things are happening all through January. They're on lockdown all, you know, all of February, the last February really. And we'd only tested 2000 people, um, by March 6th. And on Mar- we already knew that there was community transmission in the U.S. by that time. So we're testing nobody, and we know the thing is spreading around. And I think this is when Jim and you know Rob and me and a bunch of other writers for us were starting to go like, oh, man, this is going to be really bad. But when we were able to confirm that this little testing had been done, it was like, oh, no. And we had published on the story. I go to check my email, and a name I hadn't seen for a long time uh, pops in, Jeff Hammerbacher. So Jeff Hammerbacher and I were freshmen at Harvard together. We were 18 years old. We were like dumb and drank beers in the shower. You know, I mean. This wait, was... wait, can I ask a clarifying question yes. about that? Yes. What, what is, like while you were showering, you drank beers? Uh, you never you had know, a shower like... beer, Catherine? What is a what is a shower beer? Is this like a like a male college thing? What did I miss? He was a baseball player. He was a college baseball player. And one time I was over at his dorm room. He came back uh, from practice, and he was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna have a beer in the shower." And so he goes and he gets in the shower and has a has a beer. So the next time I went running, I came back and I was like, "Man, I'm pretty hot right now. I maybe I should have a beer in the shower." And then like anyway. That's a shower beer. Wait, I'm going to have shower beers during, this is a good strategy. This is a good tip for surviving uh, social distancing. It's I'm really, really starting. not. Or shower. I have to no, say it's as not. a doctor, that's a. Shower kombucha, shower, you know, uh, sparkling water. Yeah, it's just stay okay. hydrated. Stay All right, hydrated. anyway. Anyway, uh, Hammerbacher. So, Ham- Hammerbacher? Hammerbacher, known more generally as Hammer. So, um, so Hammer emails and the email just says like, like, you want me to just read it to you? Hold on. Yeah. The subject line is, um, 
did y'all use my spreadsheet? Question uh, mark, exclamation point. Thanks for writing this up. I'm curious if you use my spreadsheet to help track this data. So I click on this thing and I'm like, oh my God, he built the same spreadsheet. Oh my God. Um, and yes, yeah, so what happened was it was basically like, you know, the Spider-Man meme where like you, you know, the Spider-Man meme is like two Spider-Mans like pointing at each other, like, hey, wait, you, you, you know, mm -hmm, like basically mm -hmm. there were two people who had made this spreadsheet in the entire United States, at least as far as we know of. Mm -hmm. And we both drank shower beers together at Harvard when we were 18. You know, I mean, it was the strangest thing. Is we, this publicly accessible? Yes, it's publicly accessible on uh, covidtracking.com. Covidtracking.com. Um, I'm going right now. Yeah. And then the Twitter feed is COVID-19 tracking. And mm, we started it following. on Saturday and it has like 90,000 followers now. Um, and it is... 90,001. Thank you. Thank you. This is a, and I want to tell you why I think this is really important that there's, it's not just about, Hey, like, look at your state that that's like clearly really important to just like have transparent data. Yes. There's something really important though about it, which is right now, we don't actually know how much testing is being done in the United States still, but we know that testing is the key strategy in trying to move back to normalcy. Right. And we need to be able to test and test and test and test. And we need it to be, we need to be able to track our success. Tracking our success will look like a, a, a larger number of tests through time with a falling positive rate through time, right? Like, and, and when we drive it towards, uh, you know, zero positive rate, that's success. Right now we have the numerator. We have all the cases popping up everywhere. We don't have the denominator. We just don't have it. No one has it. Not us, not the states, not the feds. No one can actually do that calculation right now. And there's two reasons. One is um, in a lot of states, only positive cases are being reported. Wait, and so what it, the numerator over the denominator gives you what? Gives you the positive rate. Gives you, of the people you're testing, how many of them are positive, Well. Right? So why is that a useful number? Well, it's useful now because it helps gauge as as this spins up to ubiquity, it helps us gauge the severity of the outbreak. There's all this data that is extremely important for just understanding a comprehensive picture of what's happening in America, right. both the size of the outbreak and the intensity of the response that is just out the window, out the window. Other countries have this. You know, look at like the data the Italians are putting out or the South Koreans or Singapore. Other countries have this. It is a crucial part of, of just the public health understanding. And we've just, we're just doing nothing. So this was a week ago? This was I've March lost all sense 7th. of time, but this is, yeah. So that's uh, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was two, it was two <laughs> weeks March ago. It's March 20th, who knew? Um, okay. Yeah, so we put out, uh basically a call for volunteers because you know the, this is a grueling data entry process you go to every single state's website and you enter the numbers and the way we do it is you actually then have a double checker that comes through and make sure like all the numbers are right for a long time you know you've got we try to put it in a standard time format so you've got to translate like samoan time to eastern you know and then like it's it's also 24 hour clock for to make the data better for people so like you've got to translate Samoan time to Eastern in 24 hour from Pacific. So this was, this is, it sounds dumb, but when you have to do it thousands and thousands of times mm -hmm. with a bunch of volunteers, it's like 
truly grueling. So just to be clear, covidtracking.com, which is a website created by you, Alexis, a journalist, and your shower drinking buddy from college, Hammer, is currently the most is currently the most comprehensive source of data on testing rates, something that in other countries is being provided by their health departments in the government. Exactly. It's a bunch of volunteers working all over the country, all hours of night, and we're doing what other countries' national public health services are doing well and to in in sort of a but we have strong excellent public health departments which are are helping and being transparent and working like oh 100 and that's sort of the way the system is designed to function in a little bit in a way so i think um there's definitely weirdness happening but also catherine it's not like um it's partly the design Uh, uh, right uh alexa i mean Uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. We're, we have a system that's designed around state level control of a lot of these things because we're the United States. And I totally like we have we know that the public health people out there want to do this. We want to help them. Like what public health official out there is going, please, no, don't tell me the negative test results. But if you're the governor of a state, you've got so many things going on right now. And your data nerds and your public health department saying, hey, um, excuse me, governor, could you make sure that we have this complete data? I mean, like they're not getting that attention, right? And um, I feel like what what this project has become is sort of an accountability project that like every volunteer hour log, like every cell that we fill out, every time we publish, it's just a reminder that we're not getting the information we need. And it's not actually really the fault of our public health infrastructure. It's the larger forces around them. And if we can align those larger forces with their needs, then we should do that. <laughs> like the world should do that. We need that to happen. And it's this is if you're a public health official listening to this, thank you so much. Like we we get it. We want to help and and get in touch with me. <laughs> we we want to help you. Is there anything that this data is telling us right now, or it's really too? it's not complete enough yet to under to be able to draw any conclusions about how we're doing as a country. The layperson's news you can use is testing is scaling up. It's getting it, we're testing more people. We're not sure how much we're scaling up because we're still missing a lot of data. And of course, there are a lot of cases, a lot a lot of cases. Alexis, so, can I wait, Catherine, can I ask a question? Or <laughs> um yes, it's allowed. Have people talked at all about an antibody test, about the uh, ELISA? I mean, I, I, about how far right. away we are from that, because uh, we're so far know, behind the ball on this test. This test, which, uh, dear listener, is, uh, to clarify, only for people who have, it, it looks for the actual virus inside of your nasopharynx. And if it's not there at the moment of the test, then it tests negative. But it doesn't mean you um, didn't have it before. Uh, or, or you know, yeah. or that it might not be there. So anyway, we're so far behind the ball that what we it'll be really informative to have a test that can actually tell us how many people had this in the last three months and just couldn't get tested or didn't get tested or didn't seek treatment or all this. Anyway, yeah, so. yeah, Jim, that's such a that's such a good point. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, I think there's if you want to see the battle plan, 
um, I refer you to a Twitter thread. I'm sorry, but it's the best plan that I've seen. Twitter is Trevor a social Bedford. network. Yes, Twitter is a social network. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, there's a, guy a lay Trevor. person. Can you explain what Twitter is? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but Trevor Bedford is a scientist um, who has been my guiding light through this whole ordeal. Um, and he was the guy who basically showed through looking at uh, virus genomes and comparing them that the U.S. outbreak, at least in Seattle, probably started in the middle of January, which I think is a um, become basically uh, the, the conventional wisdom. Um, and he has just been on every step of the way. And in fact, you know, we're, we've been using his modeling to think about what's happening. Um, and just, uh, yesterday or the day before he basically laid out, okay, this is how we get back to normalcy. And the answer is basically, yeah, spinning up this kind of testing as fast as we can, getting the antibody tests rolling. And then as soon as we start to get those antibody tests rolling and get these ones rolling, getting people who have immunity back to start, restart the economy. Yes. Um, I don't want to paraphrase his entire thing. But just like, Trevor Bedford is his name. And if you listen to one person, aside from my dear colleagues, about this thing, let, let it be him. Well, like, I, it's I, a, it, yeah, sorry. I, I have this idea about these superhumans. And if he's saying that, that they would also be invaluable in the healthcare system, which I really, um, you know, there are going to be so many people as we run out of masks who are afraid to go to work. Um, and if they knew they had these antibodies, like that would just. Well, that's totally. That's totally what he's, what oh, he's saying. Trevor. Like, like it's yes. is it well, I thought of it independently. Of... <laughs> I did. I did. I I did not. I will say I did not. Oh, yeah. I I don't need to. Uh, yeah. Um. So there, it's it is possible that there are hundreds of thousands of people in this country who are currently immune. Yes. But we have no idea. That would who they change are. everything if we if we yes. knew that. But I mean, it's not yes, it's, it's not likely. It's extremely unlikely. Yes. So here's here's so just as we're talking about Bedford um, a little bit, he, he came up with a model to sort of and this is really rough. When I say model, I mean like back of the envelope, but it's the best we have because of the failure of testing and surveillance. And it basically said, all right, let's assume we have about 60 cases uh, rolling in the U.S. back on the first of uh, on the 15th of January. Right. 15, 60 cases, 15th of January largely sparks thrown off by the Wuhan outbreak and, you know, maybe some secondary stuff. This thing's got a doubling time of six days. Um, and he's like, I could be off by a factor of two uh, in either direction. So, you know, could be, could have been, there were only 30 people infected on the 15th of January, or it could be 120. Roll those forward, doubling every six days because we were doing nothing because we didn't know the virus was even here, nor were we testing for it. And, you know, you you come in to, uh, February, you know, with maybe like 450. Roll forward to March 1st. Now you're looking at, oh, 7,500. Come up to present or when we start to really do these social distancing measures, which make this kind of um, exercise much more difficult. And the kind of base case guess here is like 120,000 cases right now with maybe a low of 60,000 and a high of like 250. I mean, these are rough numbers, but that just tells you how quickly this thing moved and why the failure to meet it in a containment state so that we could get our shit together as a country is so catastrophic. 
and why there's so many cases now. So, but if we knew who those 250,000 people were, we could have a more, we could have a better strategy that didn't involve possibly shutting down the entire economy for months at a time. Right. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. It's, it's interesting to think about this outbreak as a, uh, basically a, not a, I mean, we've been talking so much about it, uh, as a medical problem, it is also a bureau- bureaucratic problem. Yeah. I mean, it's it's primarily a medical problem, but of course, it's the sort of thing that just is so searing that it opens up everything to inspection. Do all these, this thing is just sort of like one single test, broadband test across all of our institutions. Hey, can this thing handle this? Can this thing handle this? You know? And most of the time, the answer has been no. Right. Um, guys, I should go because, oh, yeah. uh, I just, I just opened up the Slack for the, <laughs> uh, for the COVID tracker, which I just, one thing I, can I say, I just, last thing I want to say is literally dozens and dozens of people have been throwing themselves into this. There, uh, one, this guy, uh, has been volunteering from a large tech company, um, that just mows over all the other large tech companies. Perhaps you've heard of it. And, uh, and it is he Bing? provides a stat. Are you talking about uh, Bing? I'm talking about Bing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and Amazon uh, guy, basically, who's been helping. And the status reports that he provides every night to like those of us who are, you know, running this thing are just so unbelievable to see how how hard people are working in their free time with their kids on their laps, doing whatever to make this tracker as good as it can be. And it is like literally every night he puts them out at like 11 o'clock after he's put his kids to bed after a full day at work. And then he spends hours putting this document together. And I just, I, I just, it makes me just so people are good, man. Like, you know, like it's just, it's, I, I know that's like the dumbest thing to say, but at this point in time, with no, it's how good to know. It's, it's horribly, good to remind ourselves. This is, there is a lot of inspiring stuff happening right now. You know, and they're just, and they, and, and I actually, I mean, you know, of course, I don't want to overestimate the impact that we're having. You know, we're just like this tiny little ship that's like rowing along with a bunch of volunteers. But I do think we're having an impact, at, at least at some level, marginal, you know, like, do we do it? Do we not do it? Oh, that's, COVID tracker guys are going to be a pain in our ass if we don't put this data out. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't know exactly where or how. I just know that we're like pushing as hard as we can and hoping that like we hit the right lever accidentally and um, we make this situation better. I think there's um, a, that's a really beautiful thing and, and a good lesson that's probably ac- applicable to a lot of people right now who think, oh, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I have nothing to contribute. But you actually may be able to find something like there are a lot of things going on where people are just finding ways to, to pitch in. So totally. that's really, totally. I, I think someone should build a barter system. I think a, a person to person barter system with like fairly like rigorous, uh, like neighborhood sterilization practices. Yeah. 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 <laughs> something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, great. We'll get our listeners on it. Yeah, right. barter system. <laughs> Write us at social distance at theatlantic.com when you've figured out the barter system. All right, y'all. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, thank you so much, Alexis. Thanks. All right, talk to you later, guys. Later talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Um, so right now I need to figure out where uh what the plan for the next few months of my life looks like, I think. Are you yeah. Well What do you mean? You know, if 
if you're going to be in severe quarantine, would you rather be in a, a, a large house with a bun- with several other people or a tiny apartment by yourself? Um, my plan is the latter. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm misusing that term. When I I mean quarantine is when you actually are sick. Um, Social distancing is what we're doing right now and what we'll still be doing. But to be on essentially home orders or ask not to leave your house, you know, um, it could get really like to to not physically be able to talk to anybody in person most days for months is something I'm not sure I could handle. Wait, but so what? I mean, I live alone. What I know. Am I? I know. That's what, what I was just buckling up for. Right. I know. Well, yeah. I, I'm. I'm not saying. I, I. Whatever. We're going to have to do it. We are going to get through it. Um. But things have escalated so much so quickly. I didn't really anticipate how how quickly we would get to this point of being asked to not leave your home. I mean, if you think of where we were a week ago, this was Catherine. This podcast is a week old. <laughs> Not even. Well, yeah, a week today. <laughs> yeah, I was, and you were. This was like you were like, should I go to the store? And then, and they were starting to say, well, there's big gatherings. We probably shouldn't. Um, you know, two. It was two weeks ago. I, I they were like, I was going to go to South by Southwest. You were going to go to South by Southwest. Coachella was not yet canceled, and now you can't. You're supposed to not leave your home at all. At all. You yeah okay so they they're not going to close grocery stores and pharmacies yeah. and doctors offices but you are and you can jog um but you are supposed to just keep it to a minimum and you aren't not even supposed to go to work so if in, if you're in a city that's going into lockdown you should get where you want to be um that is the message or, because this is going into on. effect on on Sunday and so you know some people I know have left the city okay. I'm going to have to go think about this. Yeah. No, no. Um, whatever. It's, it's, there will not be a perfect place to be. Every place that you are is going to feel isolating and restrictive. But if there's a possibility of being someplace where you can have some, a little more access to nature, where it's easier to go out and encounter fewer people when you do take your jogs or your walks, which as long as we're legally still allowed to do that, um, that seems like it would be desirable right now, and if and if you'd want to ride this out with, um, with people, uh, people who wouldn't drive you crazy. Well, that's the trick. Eh? Yeah, um, I mean, I think anyone would for certain periods of being isolated together for, for months. But um, that it's a decision that is upon us. Okay, it seems like we need to go both make this decision, right? I don't like what? making decisions. <laughs> That's why uh, they are so often made for me. For you. <laughs> um, well, I wish you luck. I really do wish you luck, Jim. Well, I you, mean, we'll you and I are going to keep talking, right? <laughs> this is goodbye. No. Um, yeah, we're going to keep talking. <sighs> yeah. This got, real, this got so intense so fast. Um, yeah, bec- and it's all because we're just so, it- it's just so blind, you know? And people asking me, like, what should I do when I'm sick? And all I can say is, actually, you're being encouraged by the state of New York right now not to go seek treatment unless you are in extreme circumstances. Oh, my God. <laughs>
Okay. What can we tell our listeners? We're going to keep, we're keep, we're, we're still doing this. Okay. So, well, it's think about it like war. I mean, really think about it like war. That's the way Cuomo's talking right now. Uh, You think of what you can contribute to this cause and how you can ride it out for a long time. Okay. I mean, is that helpful? I don't know. I've never been through Yeah, sure. I'm just going to need to get off the call and have a little crying session, but that's, that's okay. It's going to be good. I'm going to get it all out. Um, Okay, so here are the things you need to know at the end of this episode. This show is heroically produced by Alvin Mellis and Kevin Townsend. I want to give them uh, the credit due. They've been helping us do this all week. And I also wanted to say that you should check out our other podcast, The Ticket. Uh, It's hosted by our politics reporter, Isaac Dover. And he, today he interviewed, or yesterday he interviewed Sherrod Brown, Senator, on what's going on in the Senate and what kinds of plans are being made to uh, help people out right now. And also we should say that theatlantic.com has made all of its coronavirus coverage free and outside of our paywall. So check out theatlantic.com for lots of complete coverage on this. Obviously, the uh, economy is struggling right now, so it is free. If you are in a position to support The Atlantic, you can uh, you can do that with a subscription. You can do that at theatlantic.com slash support us. So that's all of the stuff I have right now. Sorry, kind of a dry episode, but... I, I mean, it's a dry time. Yeah, yeah. It's a dry time. Yep. Good luck. Okay. We can, we will, we must. That's my new mantra. And that's the uh, thing from uh, the cheerleading show, Cheer. Correct. From a time when people used to be able to touch each other. Um, okay. Okay. Bye, Jim. Bye, Kevin. Talk to you later.